0: One of the great ironies for business owners that we all think or feel what's really holding me back is unique to just me. We say or think things like, nobody can understand what I'm going through. Meanwhile, we're all saying and feeling this exact same thought. Being comfortable with the fact that others have had the same obstacles and overcame them is often helpful in giving us the confidence to get past our own hangups so we can make real progress. This is part three of a three-part series where I share with you the most common fears I see holding people back so hopefully you won't feel like you're the only one who feels them. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place. Feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. All right. So if you have not listened to the last two episodes, I would really recommend that you stop this episode now and go back to and listen to episodes 93 and 94 first, and then come back to this one. This is part three of a three-part series, and this is not going to be nearly as helpful for you to jump in here at the end of a three-part series, as it would be to invest a few more minutes to get the whole picture. Uh, Also, before we move on and get too far today... Let me take a moment to tell you about the next open enrollment period for my group coaching program is coming up in February 2023. This group is just for you if you've been wanting to be guided along a path of knowing which problems to solve to make the most amount of progress based on where your business is today, both for me as well as other successful business owners in the group who have faced and overcome the exact problems you're facing today. As you know, we tackle problems relating to people, processes, profitability, planning, and personal development. Open enrollment only happens three times a year, so if you miss this one, you'll have to wait until summer 2023 to join. As prices for everything continue to rise, the price for this membership will likely go up after this enrollment period as well. Your pricing is locked in for life at the price you join at. So by joining now, you'll get the best possible lifetime pricing. One-on-one coaching enrollment is always open, but the group program only opens enrollment when we transition from one major topic to another. In the spring, after enrollment is open this time, we'll be talking about things like developing a compelling marketing message, which will be more and more of a pressing issue as demand for our services drop. Also, we'll be talking about dealing with custo- or, I'm sorry, employee issues that lead us to saying or thinking things like, why do I have to keep telling them the same things over and over again? Why don't they get it after I've told them a hundred times? Why don't they get it? So reach out today if you want me to add you to the waiting list. You're sure not to miss this open enrollment window. Just find my Service Industry Success Facebook page and send me a DM that says waitlist. I'll know exactly what you mean. You can also book a no-stress appointment via my website, serviceindustrysuccess.com, to ask questions and see if this program is a good fit for you. I'm not a high-pressure sales guy, I promise. We will find out if it's a good fit for you. If it's not, we will help you find something else that is. All right, let's jump into this last group of most common fears business owners face. One of them is about safety and risk. A couple of them about risk, but this one in is about safety. It is safer to, to be a peer to my employees than to be a peer to successful business owners. If I stop working in my company as an employee and start working on my company as a business owner, I jump from being compared to my employees, with whom I'm seen as at least at the same level of competence, to being compared with business owners, many of whom are much more capable, talented, successful, or smart than I am. Well, again, I said these fears are common. I didn't say they are productive. And here's where the sound advice to stop comparing our journey to somebody else's journey is completely appropriate and applicable. Just because there are smarter, more talented people out there doesn't mean I shouldn't aim to maximize my own potential. Doesn't mean I shouldn't provide the absolute best life experience for my family. Doesn't mean I shouldn't be the best role model I can for the next generation of business owners who will rely on success stories like the one I might be able to tell someday as motivation to be successful in life and overcome their own adversities. As my friend Albert Mensah, a guy who came here, he was an unimaginably, unimaginably poor immigrant from a waterless village in Africa. Like Literally, they had to walk, I think it was two miles, might have been five miles, each way to get water, which they did every single day. They slept. They didn't have beds. I mean, just it unimaginably poor for people in the United States to even consider. Uh, he immigrated to the United States from that, that village in Africa, went on to be very successful here in the United States he says we don't have the right to take that inspiration away from those who will later need it and i and i really really believe that we don't have the right to take that away from those folks we need inspiration from people who came before us and people who come after us are also going to need inspiration we don't have the, we don't have the right to take that away like that is part of our part of our obligation here um the next one is if i transition out of being a business owner And step into or towards retirement or some version of retirement, could be just working less than full time, that is one step away from the horrible, inevitable event that follows retirement. And death, which for many of us is perceived as the next step following retirement, is scary as hell. For some folks, this is really terrifying. This is especially scary for men. Generally, not always, of course, but generally, women seem to look forward to time with grandchildren, for example more than they fear death and retirement. Men, by and large, tend to see retirement as the first step towards the inevitable outcome. So you kind of have different camps of people here. I live in the Phoenix area now. Scottsdale is a very desirable retirement location. People very frequently sell their businesses and move here and play golf. And they play golf sometimes five days a week, sometimes seven days a week, sometimes more. <laughs> I think there's more golf courses here than just about anywhere on the planet. So you have those people who, who look at retirement as this is like the the best chapter of my life. And then you have the folks who, who have this massive fear. And I'll tell you, I think I've talked about this before, but in case you haven't heard it, my first day of my first real job, I was a teamster. Um, this was a job I got when I was 19. I thought I hit the lottery. Like you had to know somebody there to get this job. This was seen as a very, very good job in my first day, there was a kind of a Teamster orientation. I learned two things that day that really changed how I looked at the world. The first one was the Teamster pension fund had enough money in it to pay. At that time, this is 1994. They had $9 trillion, I think, if I remember right, and it was enough to pay the national debt. Their big thing was there's enough money in our Teamster pension fund to pay the national debt. You don't have to worry. The money will be there when you retire. And I wondered, well, how could you get $9 trillion in in a pension fund? Like, How does that work? Well, the next thing I learned answered that question, and that was the average teamster upon retirement lived for about 17 months. So people would work for 40 years, 45 years, 35 years, whatever it was, they would go home and retire, they would sit on the couch, and 17 months later, they would die. And that really um, changed my my thoughts about (laughs) why would you want to retire, you know? And again, I went through an evolution later on. I I had some very compelling reasons why I wanted to retire. But for folks who haven't gotten there yet, this, this this belief and this fear is real. That like, you know, you go home and you stop having a purpose and you stop having, you know, things that drive you to get up in the morning and get and get you going, um, the outlook is not always good. So this is something that, you know we talk about what what is the vision of retirement that you want you don't have to end up with the retirement you get you can very much decide what you want and pursue that and i would recommend for all folks that we do that like we you know we shouldn't i would hope that none of us are are in a place where we're resigning ourselves to to whatever retirement we get i hope that people are saying here's what i want and here's how i need to go get that and then we go get that that's you know that's the whole point of this thing Anyhow, that's still scary though. For some folks, retirement is the, like the first stage of death, and it's 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 a real thing. And again, whether it's reasonable or not doesn't matter. It is a real fear. All right, the next one is: I really don't believe I can be a successful business owner. I don't have the ability to learn the skills and strategies that will make me successful. There's just so much to learn. I don't have the time to learn it all. Both, I mean, time in hours per week and time as in years left in my career. I don't have the mental capacity to really learn all these things, all these necessary skills, all these different components. There's so many things you have to learn—from financials to procedures to people to customers to marketing to sales to blah 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 blah. Never mind, you know the risk involved, and the and the the money involved, and the time, and I just there's so much, there's so much, and and uh, I can't learn and do all this stuff at the same time. I'm not good enough. I'm not I'm not smart enough. Blah blah blah. I get it. Here's what I'll say about this. The only thing you have to be smart enough to do is continuing to hire, empower, and inspire smarter people than you to reach their full potential and to aim for goals that are in alignment with those of your company. If you're smart enough to do that, you can be successful. You can also prioritize spending time learning over spending time relaxing. Again, I talked about in the last couple of weeks. I used to watch a lot of TV when I was young. And then one day I said, I'm not going to watch TV this much anymore. It's a waste of time. I need to be learning things that can help me be productive and and learn things that will help me build the lifestyle that I want. One of the things I strongly recommend is looking at work-life balance, a phrase that I wish would be stricken entirely from our entire lexicon. But if you're going to talk about work-life balance, I would implore you to please stop looking at it in the terms of weeks or months at a time. I will tell you, my work-life balance sucked. Badly, the first three years of being a business owner. I worked six or seven 12 plus hours, uh, 12 plus hour days per week. I was on call 20 nights per month. That means if the phone rang, I had to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and, and take care of whatever came in. I had no time, and frankly, I had no money for that matter to do anything outside of work. That was my first three years of being a business owner. I didn't we didn't take a paycheck for the first eight months. We literally worked basically for free for the first eight months. We made money by selling assets to the company a few hundred dollars at a time. It was, it was like a poverty stricken existence. And then my last three years of being a business owner in that service industry, I worked three or four, six to eight hour days per week. Meaning I chose to be at the office that many days. And I chose to be at the office that many hours per week. I took six plus weeks of vacation every year. Plus the other fun trips we took to things like industry associations and at the hot air balloon festival in Albuquerque one year. and and at at the, Daytona 500 and just different things like that. Those are the kind of industry uh, conventions we go to. Those are pretty, pretty fun things too. So over the course of a decade, I would say that's a pretty sweet gig. But if I would have focused on my quote unquote work-life balance that first two or three years, the company would not have grown at the incredible rate it did. I would have been so frustrated with how my work-life balance sucked. I would have stopped working so much and it wouldn't have grown. Not, Not to the degree it did anyway. So my point here is that I don't believe that there's anyone who doesn't have a severely restricting mental handicap who can't build a thriving business. All these fears, of all these fears, this one, which this is the one that simultaneously frustrates me and makes me feel a deep sense of sadness for those who have this fear. I've seen too many very successful people who are frankly not all that intellectually, intellectually impressive. Um... But they were willing to put the work in. They were willing to learn. They were willing to commit. They were willing to believe. They were willing to develop themselves. There, I've seen too many of these people who who weren't gifted with especially high IQs find success. So for anyone to say, I've seen too many of these people for anyone to say that they can't do it. That's my point. And by the way, I'm not looking down at these people who I who I say are not intellectually impressive. I look up to them tremendously. They're so motivating to me personally. I can't thank them enough because they remove any ability I would have to to make up some kind of believable excuse of why I can't do it. I've met people who are very, very successful who will tell you they maybe didn't even graduate seventh grade or didn't even graduate fifth grade. I, like I've seen people who were just, you know, they were not gifted in that department. They were wildly successful. Um, so, you know, this is just not a, a, a thing I believe, and again, my my belief in it doesn't matter at all. It's a real fear. There are people who just think I can't do it, and I wish I if I wish I could impart upon them the belief that they can, because I've seen people overcome ser- serious you know things that hold them back and be wildly successful. All right, next one is it's so much safer to keep my role as an employee and to keep my company small than to risk building it up and having it all come apart later. I'm barely hanging on now. So while this one might sound a lot like that one of being afraid of giving up control, what I'm referring to here is more about subjecting ourselves to risk. And make no mistake, growing a sizable business is risky. I guess you can make the argument that people don't like risk because risk is inherently out of their control. I I totally agree with that. But I do make a distinction between fear of giving up control because I like control and taking on risk. Maybe that's because I'm unusual. I don't think I am. I'm naturally very much a fan of having control, but I'm also pragmatic enough to know that taking on significant risk is part of the path to building real wealth. When I take those assessments you do when you enroll and you're like, you know, you're 401k, and they ask you to, you know, they do that risk assessment. Like, do you want all your money in bonds and cash? Or do you want all your money in international risky investments? I'm always at the riskiest end of the spectrum. So for me, there's a difference between wanting control and being adverse to taking on risk. Anyhow, this is not about me. My point is, I do draw a distinction there. You may not, and that's okay. You've heard me talk about the two most important questions for us to answer and to know the answers to, or two of the most important questions. These aren't necessarily the, the two most important questions, but they're two of, the, two of them that are up there. And they are, what's more important to you, time or money? And what's more important to you, control or freedom? And those are absolutely relevant here. How you answer those questions will tell you if this fear is reasonable or not. If you want time and freedom, you will have to overcome a fear of risk, period. You cannot gain true freedom, both financial freedom and time freedom, if you will not take on risk. So for all of us, we have to know what we want. And that's really helpful to know what we want. Well, it's necessary to know what we want. It's really helpful to know why we want it. Again, going back to am I prioritizing time or money. Do I want this thing because I want the time or do I want this thing because I want the money? Most of us want to build something great. we start a company, we want to build something great. We want to gain financial and or time freedom. We set out with those lofty goals. We just have to accept that there are parts of the journey we're going to love, and there's parts of the journey we're not going to like all that much. If it was easy, everyone would do it, and it wouldn't pay all that well. So risk is the reality we must work with. Fortunately for us, there's many things we can do to mitigate those risks. The next one is if I give up my role of running the company and being directly tied to the operations or being the face of the company, I don't know what my identity will be. We spend years building this thing, our company, developing the very close relationships both inside the company with employees and outside the company with suppliers and customers and industry peers. And after many years, it really does become a huge part of our identity. For many of us, our closest relationships in life are tied to our business and our business relationships. So then we're faced with this question. If I don't do this, which represents how people identify and relate to me, what would I do? Who would I be? What would my purpose be? And I think that last question is really the key. After this, what's my purpose going to be? This is not a concern in the early years. When I was working those first three years, I was not worried about this. There's no time for such luxurious thoughts as... What am I going to do after I've conquered the mountain? Like that—that that, those are ludicrous thoughts, to even be considering early on. We just—it's not even it doesn't even feel like a reality yet. But it comes, especially when you're faced with giving up significant pieces of control. Either you have done that, or you know you're on the verge of having to do that. It inevitably must happen. For me, it, you're listening to what I decided my purpose was. I feel a compulsion and an obligation to pass along what I learned from my fantastic mentors without whom there's no way we would have been as successful or had the success we did but this is not for everyone i've seen people begin volunteering and using the skills they've learned to help advance charitable causes i've seen people take up horseback riding or other childhood passions again i've seen people focus on spending all their time with their, their grandchildren and helping their grandchildren with their hobbies i've seen people pursue a passion for real estate development flipping houses or you know building stuff What we do is not as important as finding something we're passionate about, I think. I think it's dangerous to look at building a thriving, sizable company as the finish line because what do you do then? I know that may sound ridiculous for someone who is in year two of building their dream business. I get that. But someday it will make sense to that person. Someday when we've built our baby, our dream company, we have to decide if that alone will be our legacy or if we're going to give back to or pour ourselves into some kind of new passion. Because if we don't, we're left in this kind of purgatory. We can't have what we once did because now that belongs to our leadership team. We can't have all this decision-making and influence and stuff because we, we've we had to give that to our leadership team. And yet we haven't yet moved on to another meaningful purpose. We're, we're kind of in this no man's land for a while. The good news is it can't stay like that forever. The bad news is it can't stay like that forever. So we're again. It's just kind of this purgatory. So you know, I think the answer is just figuring out what are we passionate about, and and our our hearts and our passion will tell us what to focus on on next. But this is a real fear for for people. At the a lot of things we're talking about are things in the beginning of the journey. This one is obviously much more towards the end of the journey. For all those fears we must face and overcome, the way to doing so is identifying which fear specifically is holding us back. Again, I think this is more productive than and then. um, just taking on fear as this big nebulous thing, you know? Um, I'm going to keep talking about this over and over again because I believe it's that important if we identify this specific fear we're facing, it's, in my opinion, much more likely we'll have a better chance of understanding how to fix it. You know, if we if we understand what it is and how it came to be, we can figure out, is this a reasonable thing or not a reasonable thing? And then we can figure out, like, real steps to overcoming it. So, again, what why how framework works really well for this. First thing I do is identify the what, which specific fear do I need to face and overcome? Next, I need to figure out what I want success to look like as it relates to this. So instead of being held back by this fear, what do I want instead? What does it look like to live free from this fear? Like for you and your situation, the the fear that we've talked about here in the last three episodes that applies you the most, what do you want your life to look and feel like instead of being held captive by this fear? For me, in the case of my fear and figuring out what my identity would be, I decided my real purpose and passion life was not building a thriving business. That was awesome. And I love every second of that. But my real passion life is guiding others along their journey of building a thriving business. That's my real purpose in life. I, I learned that. I couldn't have done this without first having done that. That was how I, how I, I knew I would overcome my fear of no longer having a purpose. To, to really pursue this, I had to sh- sell my shares of my baby, my wonderful company. I had to sell that. To pursue this purpose, I had to give that one up. And I'm truly excited that I did. I feel very, very uh, fortunate and excited and blessed that I get to do this. But it was so scary. <laughs> it was so scary to, to transition from having, you know, accomplished something wonderful to, to giving all that up and starting over completely with an entirely new purpose. That was scary. Um, so I had to ask myself, like we all do, like, what do I want badly enough to be worth facing and overcoming this fear? And another version would be, what do I want to get rid of so badly that I'm willing to face and overcome this fear? In my case, I wanted to help business owners. I wanted them to have the same blessings I had, capable mentors willing to help, which became a massive motivator for me when I found out that you know, 11 of the 12 business coaches I knew had never owned a business. I just was floored by that. Anyhow, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. It always comes down to, though, what do I want badly enough to face and overcome this fear? And it could just be as simple as saying, you want your retirement to to look like this and deciding what you want your retirement to be and chasing that versus settling for the retirement you end up with. It could be that simple. Or what do I have and want to get rid of badly enough that I'm willing to face this fear and overcome it? If we don't know the answer to those questions, those kinds of questions, it's just much more difficult for us to face and overcome our fears. In some cases, it will actually be impossible. If we don't have a compelling enough reason, we just won't do it in some cases. And then the how. I know which fear I must face. I know what success looks like. I know my why. Now, what are the practical steps I need to put in place to get past it? All right, that's it for this week. Um, hope this series has helped. Again, these are these are uh, not universal. This is not a, a complete list. I'm sure there's tons of fears out there that people have that I have not even touched on. These are just the 10 or 12 or so that I see impacting people uh, the most often. So hopefully this series has been helpful for you. That's it for this week, and I will see you all next week.